Hebrews chapter 13, and I draw your attention this morning to the verse 20, and to the name especially that Paul gives to God as he addresses him in prayer. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He calls God the God of peace. And that's what we want to think about this morning, the Lord helping us by his Holy Spirit. Paul could have used any number of names for God, but for some reason he falls upon this. And we want to ask and to explore and to think why. I think we have to pause at this name. It's the precious name of God and we have to pause at it for three reasons. The first is that this is something that is attractive to us about God. He's a God of peace. Now God is beautiful. He is the most glorious and the most beautiful being in the universe, beyond the universe. Any beauty we even see in the universe or in the creature, we see it because it has something of him in it. If there's beauty in the creation, it's because God is beautiful and glorious. And it reflects him. So creation is beautiful because God is beautiful. But of course, God is infinitely more beautiful. He has infinite beauty. Whereas the creature has only a limited reflected on a refracted beauty. God is beauty in himself. And that's why the psalmist said that all the days of his life he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord. To see something of that. To see the beauty of the Lord. The psalmist was one who could appreciate beauty. He was a one who lay in the fields with the sheep, who roamed the hills, who looked upon the creature in many occasions, and yet the best place for him was God's house. To see God's beauty. The infinitely more greater beauty of the creator. And that's what we want to do every time we come to his house. To see this, this beautiful God and his son Jesus Christ. The thing is, we cannot do that all at once. There's no verse in scripture that would reveal to us all the beauty of God in a mere word. It's impossible for us to behold all the beauty of God because we are so limited in our capacities. And so to see the beauty of God, he has to reveal it and show it to us bit by bit. A kind of his back parts. We can never see it all. Just the back parts, just bit by bit, as it's revealed to us. Not that God is divided or dividable, he can't be divided. But our limited capacities, it's the only way that we can consider God, attribute by attribute. And so he reveals himself that way, though his attributes are all one. And as well as that, not only do we have limited capacities, we are sinners. And we have very deformed spiritual eyesight, blinded by sin. And because of that, God is not always appearing to us as beautiful. We're conscious of sin. 
We're conscious of deformity. We're conscious of depravity. We're twisted. And when sinners are awakened and they see some details of God, they flee from him. They dread him. They don't find him appealing at all. They want to run from him. His justice, his holiness. And not all aspects of God are are beautiful to the sinner because of this deformity. Sinners very often are repelled by God. Such is their blindness. And what God does and has to do is first win them as his Holy Spirit works in them. But he does so by revealing to them those parts of his glory that appear to them more attractive, more appealing. And this is one of them. He's a God of peace. Bless his holy name. He's a God of peace. What a lovely and beautiful name for God. And so that encourages us as saints, and it encourages sinners, that even sinners find some beauty in this. He's a God of peace. The second reason we pause at it is that it is something that is fundamental about God and central to the gospel. We're not saying that this beauty of God is a minor thing or an insignificant thing that we just kind of draw out, but it's not that important. No, it's fundamental about God. It is significant, as everything is about him. So this is not a minor thing. No, this is something fundamental. Something that's so important about God that it lays at the heart of the gospel. He's a God of peace. The God of peace. The very God of peace. It's not a minor, but a major. It's a glorious divine attribute. So we're not saying he has a little bit of peace. No, he is the very God of peace. And those are Paul's own words. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. The very God of peace. Sanctify. So he's the very God of peace. And this is why there is a gospel, you see. Why there is a saviour. Why there is at all an everlasting covenant for us sinners. Why there is atoning blood. Because God is the God of peace. We're talking about God's nature. And the Bible frequently declares it too. In fact, reflecting on this in my studies, with the concordance references at hand, I was struck how much particularly Paul says it. It's a major theme with him. You know, of course, Paul, whenever he was Saul of Tarsus, he had no peace. He was a man in conflict. He was a man in turmoil. He had conflicts within him, and he brought conflicts around him. He was unhappy. He was a man in bitterness with a persecuting spirit. But God found him. And he obtained peace. And ever afterwards, that's how he talks about God. The God of peace. And he loves to call God this. Bear with me as I let you hear him in his own voice. To the Romans. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. To the Romans again. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. 
Corinthians, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. To the Corinthians again, the love of God and peace shall be with you. The God of peace shall be with you to the Philippians. And to the Thessalonians, the very God of peace sanctify you. And these things are true of God in his three persons. Not only true of the Father, who is the very God of peace, they're also true of his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, and who told his disciples, My peace. I give unto you. And in these benedictions, uh, which are so often in the Bible, Paul frequently prays to the Son as well as to the Father, and he uses the word grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of peace. The Lord of peace himself give you peace. The Lord be with you all. He's talking about Christ when he uses that word Lord. So the Lord Jesus is the God of peace too. As is the Spirit who alone plants it in our hearts. He's the Spirit of peace. The third reason why we consider it. Is because it is something that is very practical for us. Something that we should be interested in. Something that we should want, desire. Something that should draw us to God. Something that should assure us and comfort us that our God is the God of peace. It has a practical effect in our lives, in our heart, in our mind, in our conscience. This is something we need. Peace. And the gospel that comes to us is the gospel of peace. Paul's own words. You see, this is what mankind doesn't have. Yet wants it and seeks it, but never finds it. Because it cannot be obtained without God. Who is the God of peace? Haven't we had so many organizations and groups formed to bring peace and maintain peace? And they never work because they leave out God. No peace without God. Without God, all men are like the troubled sea, always tossed up and down, always in turmoil. There's no peace to the wicked. You remember the League of Nations after the Great War, the war to end all wars, and the League of Nations to facilitate that. Well, that didn't last long. We had the Second World War then. No peace. And the United Nations after that. And we're still in the midst of turmoil and conflict and fears all around us. And we're always on the eve of war. If not in it. It comforts us then to know that God is the God of peace. And that's why Paul uses it, you see. He's comforting the Hebrews. He's closing his homily through them with this prayer for them. Reminding them he's the God of peace. He's assuring them. So those are the reasons why we must pause at it. So vital, so important, so beautiful, so attractive, so 
practical. Let us then think about the word itself. Peace. And of course the word here is Greek. But you know that every language has a word for peace. The Hebrews included. And the Hebrew word, as you know, is shalom. An often used word amongst them. A word of greetings. Everybody knows shalom means peace. And he's writing to the Hebrews. He's writing to a people who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and know something about the shalom of God. Peace. It's first used in the Bible by God. Shalom. It's God's word that he brought to men. The God of peace given. The God of peace originated as far as the use of it is concerned in the scriptures. God speaking to Abraham, first found in the mouth of God in Genesis chapter 15. And ever since, the Hebrew nation has taken it up as the word common in their lips. Shalom. It was whenever God appeared to Abram at that time, and he gave him so many exceeding great and precious promises, and one of them was, Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. You'll depart in peace. Didn't we read that this morning in Luke 2? Now let me depart in peace. He's thinking of Abraham, where it first occurred. To go to the fathers in peace. Now it can be debated what is meant by that when God says, I shall go to thy fathers in peace. But I think its fullest sense and its fullest fulfillment is seen in Lazarus lying on Abraham's bosom. The perfect picture of peace and tranquility as in glory these two men come together in the tranquility of it all that tortured, afflicted man lying in the bosom of that wandering, weary pilgrim but now at peace. And in the perfect hospitality of heaven and glory itself around the table of the Lord. Peace. Abraham obtained shalom. Lazarus obtained shalom. They have peace. They've gone to the fathers in peace. They've departed in peace. As Simeon also, because God is the God of peace. And that's the only reason. They are in the place of completeness and quietness. The place of freedom from all disturbance and conflict. That's peace. And God gives it. Now whenever we think of peace, we think of its opposite. And the opposite of peace in the Bible is war. The contrary to it is strife and battle and war, division and conflict. You see this in the Bible itself. I am for peace, the psalmist says, as does God say. I am for peace. But they are for war. It's opposite. You remember the wise man said, a time to love, a time to hate. And there goes on forth from that a time of war, but also a time of peace. A time of war, a time of peace. The, the opposites. 
You see it also in this epistle to the Hebrews. It's the third time that Paul uses the word peace. The first time occurs in Hebrews 11, verse 31. Rahab, she didn't perish. She believed when she had received the spies with peace. She wasn't against them. She wasn't standing fighting Israel and fighting Israel's God. No, she was at peace with Israel's God. She's at peace with Israel's servants, with God's servants, with the spies. And she stands with them, one with them, in harmony with them, no conflict with them, a togetherness with them. She even risks her life for them. She receives them with peace. Reconciled, peace with them. And she was delivered and saved because of it. And then in verse 14 of Hebrews 12, follow peace with all men. And we know very well what Paul means. Don't be fighting with people. Don't be a troublemaker and a fighter. But follow peace. Pursue peace. And holiness. As if they're linked together. As if somehow they have a an undividable harmony holiness and peace and the God of peace is the God of holiness too and so should his people be children of peace the peacemakers and also children of holiness so we very well know what it means having considered then the, first of all the reasons why we're thinking about it and now having looked at the word, let us come thirdly to the understanding of the truth of this expression. That God is the God of peace. What are we to think about whenever we think of him as a God of peace? Let's begin with that adorable God himself. He is the very God of peace. Bless his holy name. What a delightful being he is. And this is a fitting description for him. Peace begins with God and it begins within him. And it is as eternal as himself. Peace is eternal. Because he's a God of peace. He's eternally at peace in himself. He has peace. And if there's ever peace in the universe, it's because he has distributed something of himself to that universe. He has peace within him. He is peace. We know that peace comes to men. We know that peace is created in the earth and given by God. But we must first understand God has peace in himself. Creatures are restless. Especially sinful creatures. And the further they go from God, the more restless they are. And the closer they are to God, the more at peace they find themselves to be. He is peace. You know, the wicked, they look around them. They see the world and the creation in turmoil. They see conflict. And they wickedly and blasphemously say, if there is a creator of this world, he must be a creator in turmoil himself. Well, that is false, utterly false, utterly wicked, utterly blasphemous, and of the devil, who knows no peace, and would assert the same of God. God is not in turmoil. And he didn't create a world in turmoil. 
Turmoil came because of the entrance of sin, which is not a material substance. Sin is not a material substance. And it has mysteriously, through the apostasy of creatures, entered into God's universe. And that turmoil exists, and that loss of peace continues because of sin which is the turning away from the good and the turning away from the peace and the turning away from the harmony onto anything else without God. It's leaving God brings the turmoil. And even when the creature leaves God, it doesn't put God in turmoil. God is never in turmoil. He's never troubled. He has no war within himself. The sacred three have perfect harmony in the unity of their persons in the Trinity. Eternally harmonious, eternally one and three, three and one, forever blessed, forever happy, never unhappy, never dissatisfied, never restless. Indeed, he treads on all restlessness as the sea trader, undisturbed by it all beneath his feet, at peace. Even as Jesus slept in the boat in the midst of the storm, giving a picture of his heavenly Father and of his own divine glory as his Son, at peace, the very God of peace. Bless his name and worship him in the beauty of his peacefulness. The attributes of God are not many and all divided. We have to look at them that way because of our limited capacities. But God is God and all his attributes are one. He's just God. Glorious. The very God of peace utterly in harmony in all his undivided divine essence. What a wonderful name for God. It has really struck me. It has really blessed me to think upon it. I trust it blesses you to hear about it. So there's no division in him. Perfect peace in the divine essence in God's mind. That must be so, or we never find peace. If God is not at peace, how could we ever find peace? No. We find peace because he is the God of peace. And we find it in him and through him. So it's something about God himself, this peacefulness. But then as creator, as he begins to work amongst his creatures, as creator, he purposes peace. In his cosmos. Thus we can think of the world before the fall. Before the entrance of sin. Either amongst the angels or amongst mankind. Perfect peace and harmony in the universe. We see it's not so now. And we know that the entrance of sin has affected it. But in its first creation. When everything was very good. Picture the tranquility of it all. Paradise. The harmony of Eden. The dominion over all the creatures with perfect peacefulness. 
no curse, nothing to disturb the harmony of the angels as they sang together at the creation of the stars. All of them around the very God of peace. The harmony of Adam and Eve and of man with his creatures. What what a wonderful meditation that is. But we can't spend long on that, of course. It's just a little sub-point. The purpose of God as he purposes the peace in his cosmos. But of course he has allowed sin because he's very far-seeing God and he sees something greater and beyond by means of which he comes to through the fall and through his son who is peace incarnate. And so as Redeemer he purposes that in his son and it is of this that Paul particularly speaks when he uses the title and no doubt why he commences this benediction and prayer with this title the God of peace. He is the God of peace and he is the one who purposes to restore peace through his son Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul, as I say, uses this name. He purposes to bring sinners to peace. He purposes to bring the world into the new heavens and the new earth of perfect peace. He purposes to reconcile all things unto himself. Through Jesus Christ, his Son. And so now the very God of peace, he says. And he showed himself this, the God of peace, reconciling sinners unto himself. He showed this when he walked first in the Garden of Eden after the fall. He knew very well it was the fall. He knew very well where Adam was, but he still came walking He didn't send thunderbolts and fire and went to war against humankind. No, he came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, undisturbed, unfizzed, still the very God of peace. Adam, where are you? Where have you got yourself brought to? And so he comes calling Adam, seeking Adam, forgiving Adam, Clothing Adam, promising Adam something wonderful because he's the very God of peace. And as shown in that first promise that I've already referred to, to break Satan's head by the seed of the woman, this is the first promise, the first gospel promise. It's a promise of war with Satan, but peace for sinners. And that was fulfilled when Christ was born. And the first three uses of peace in the New Testament are very interesting. And I mean chronologically in the New Testament history, not not in Matthew, but in Luke. Chronologically. The first three uses of the word peace. All of them centered around Jesus Christ. Because it is by him that this God of peace reconciles us to himself through his Son. And so... We read, whenever Mary carries the baby in her womb. She's three months carrying the baby in her womb. And the father of John the Baptist, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he speaks concerning this one who is to come. This light who is to come into the world. He says concerning him, Christ to give light. To them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. 
and to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's one coming. Zacharias doesn't say he's in the womb of the virgin, but we know that he is. He's coming. He's the one sent by God, the very God of peace. And he's coming to bring our footsteps back into the way of peace. Bless his holy name, our wonderful Saviour. He brings us into the way of peace. And then the second occurrence of the word is whenever Jesus is born and he's just led into the manger and all the angels appear and they sing the praises of God and they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace. The very God of peace they worship and he's brought it onto the earth. Where is it? It's lying in that little manger. That little infant who can't speak, who can only cry for the mother's milk. There he is, the very God of peace incarnate, in human nature appearing. This is him. Peace through him. And then, Simeon. As he holds the little infant in his arms, he says, Ah, Lord, he says, Now, I can depart in peace. And so we can. And so we all can. If we embrace Christ. We can go in peace. And at the cross. Because it's not just in the manger. There is more to it to be done than that. He has to live. And he has to go to the cross. And at the cross. That is what is taking place. The very God of peace. Is making his peace to sinners is making them to be at peace with him, is reconciling them to himself. In our text, verse 20, the blood of the everlasting covenant, brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the blood of the everlasting covenant. He's linking all these things together. He's saying, this is what the God of peace has done. He's brought from the dead Christ. He's brought from the dead Christ because of this blood of the everlasting covenant, because of this death, this atoning death. The very God of peace has been working in all of this to establish that peace with us. And so Paul says in other places, it pleased the Father that in him, that little baby in the, in the manger, it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, all the divine fullness in bodily form And having made peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say all things in earth are things in heaven. It's universal reaching. All things in earth and in heaven. Into the utterly new heavens and new earth. It's far-reaching, the blood of Christ. And after the resurrection, those first two Lord's days, whenever the Saviour appeared amongst his disciples, first the ten and then the eleven, on both occasions we read that he said unto them, the first occasion, the doors are locked, they're all shut, they're, they're trembling in fear, and he appears and stands in their midst, and he says to them, the first word, Peace. 
be unto you. Shalom. The very God of Shalom stands in the midst and he says, be it unto you. And then before he, he left, he said again, peace be unto you. Twice he said it that first Lord's Day. And then whenever Thomas finally bothered to appear amongst them, the Lord comes back again and Thomas is with them. The doors are shut and lo and behold, who stands in the midst again? It's Jesus. And he says the very same words, peace be unto you. And so now that is proclaimed in the gospel of peace that we preach week by week. Didn't Paul say to the Ephesians, he is our peace and he has come and preached peace to you who were far off and to them that are nigh so that through him we both have access unto God. Whether far off or nigh, whether distant Gentiles or nearer Jews, we both have access unto God and peace through Christ. This word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And so the peace, the very peace of God, is ours through Jesus Christ. And I have to emphasize that through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this peace does not come to us on any terms. And it doesn't come to us without terms. There are terms. It is peace by way of Christ. It is peace through Christ. It is by the peacemaker Jesus Christ, our dear Lord. As the Apostle says in another place, now we're justified by faith and have peace with God. So peace is only flowing to us in our union to Christ as we possess him, as he is ours, as we believe in him and trust him, as we like old Simeon embrace him, take him up in our, our arms, love him and adore him and depend upon him, in him we have peace. He is our peace. And he brings us into the divine fullness to know the very God of peace in the very peace itself which he leaves with us. Do you have peace? Do you rest in Christ? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? And in all your troubles and turmoils, do you find your solace in him? May it be so to his glory. Let us pray.